As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is an unspoiled network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering. Travelers, Season 1, Episode 6, Helios 685. In this episode, we find out why the team was sent here, and it turns out that they were not the only ones sent on this mission. And it turns out that it's kind of hard to tell whether or not they were successful. I hope they were. But also, would that just be the end of the story? Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everybody. I am Natasha. First of all, thank you very much to Michael for commissioning this episode. I don't know if you're here in the chat, Michael, but hi. Agnes is here. Um, Michael says, oh, I forgot which episode was today. This is a good one. Yeah, this was a good one. Um, I actually watched this one the first time like weeks ago at this point because the uh, most recent episode was almost a month ago. And like normally if I've watched something once already and I have to go back and rewatch it, I'm a little like, okay, I'll go rewatch it. And then when this one started and I remembered which one it was, I was like, oh shit, no. Okay. I want to rewatch this one because there's a lot happening here. Um, so the start of this episode is with, we are hanging out, so to speak with a bunch of fundamentalists uh, who are, they have been bussed over in a bus that is labeled the Church of Our Rapture. Um, and they are all sitting on this dock. And it's one of those docks that like, probably gets used for like wedding ceremonies and stuff like that all the time. It's got a bunch of like, 
seating on it and a little like stage platform sort of thing at one end. It just really has the feel of like an event center or something. Um, and this dude is telling all of these people that like, here we are returned to the location of my vision where I saw all of us like being lifted up to Christ or whatever the fuck. And just generally it's clear right away here that, uh, this is going to be the location of a bunch of deaths. And that's why we are seeing it is that we're going to get a bunch of travelers at once. And, Honestly, all things considered, this is this works out really well. Like it's kind of funny because, you know, it's the site of this like what was supposed to be kind of a religious tragedy, really. And the first thing that the traveler who comes through says after he realizes that everybody made it is, "Well, hallelujah." And I was like, "Oh, you guys." Um yeah, this uh, I don't know how many of you remember the Heaven's Gate cult um, and that whole thing that went down back in the 90s. I feel like it was mid 90s. Now I'm going to check it out because I'm like really not sure. Um, But it was a similar thing where all of these people believed that there was this comet that was like sent by God um, that was meant to they were they were meant to poison themselves and die in order to like be brought up to this comet it was a really weird thing it was like a combination of like a religion thing and also like a ufo like fanaticist group it was strange um and i've often wondered because some of you know from listening to other episodes that my father was like a real fundamentalist christian and I've often wondered if he had been asked to drink something that would poison him, whether he would do it. Because I honestly cannot say. I think he might have. And that's really like a disturbing thing to know, you know. Um, but anyway, so this is a whole crew of travelers. It's like, I think about 10 people Um who are all here. Actually, I think it's more than 10 now that I'm counting in the scene because there were some people like sitting out of sight that are snipers and all meant to sort of run interference for this mission that winds up coming up later. And it's a really interesting question for me again, because, you know, I'm so fascinated by the logistics in this show of how people are chosen to be travelers what exactly like the preparation is for that, whether you can go back or not, all of that. In a situation like this, the thing that I am the most curious about is are the people who are being sent into these bodies ready for what the, what the change in ability of that body will do to their plans? For example, one of the women, she is complaining that there's not a whole lot of muscle mass to make the injection in because they each have to, uh, they have to prepare themselves against a toxic gas that's going to be released in order to like force an evacuation of the area. And I wish he says something about how you're our best sniper. And I'm like, you know, this is an older, she's in the body of an older woman. She's probably like good 70 years old, maybe. And does she get prepped for what it's going to be like 
to be in the body of somebody who is not as physically strong, who is probably suffering from like failing eyesight and maybe isn't able to hold a weapon as still to focus and shoot the way that like if you've got tremors or something as you get older, I just, this is the stuff that I'm always really, really curious about. Um, because if I were going to be like training people to get in on this, I would probably do like weird shit to try and prep them. I'd make them wear, for example, goggles that blurred everything pretty badly. Or I'd put something like attach something to their weapon that caused it to like vibrate so that they really had to like struggle in order to get things sighted properly. I would just do all kinds of like annoying obstacle type shit because I feel like it's so easy to to think that you're going to be able to manage anyway. And as somebody who's getting older and rapidly realizing that, like, it's not about not wanting to do things. Your body physically cannot do certain things anymore unless you dedicate a lot of your time towards accomplishing that again. And that then the question comes up, do you care enough to dedicate a good, like, you know, several hours of your day towards this in order to get back what you lost? Or have your priorities changed and you don't really like care anymore, you know? And this woman coming, she's the best sniper coming into the body of somebody who might not be physically equipped to do that job. There is plenty of physical conditioning involved, even in shooting. I just want to know more about that and how that all works. Um, but yeah, so they are all like they troop back onto the bus and they head out towards the uh mission and it turns out to be a really long drive. Like they are a little bit late because they just, you know, ran into a bunch of problems and also they all have to pee all the time because they're older and it's just like their bodies are not super efficient anymore. Um but yeah, I I really liked this opening scene and I really loved the uh fact that we had some older people getting to like partake in an action sequence too as actors, you know. I'm sure that that's a pretty rare thing and that's must be really fun. Um so th- the next scene is back at the hospital. We are with this kid who was sent ahead with the matter and wasn't aware and still isn't, bless his heart, that he was being sent on to die. Um, he survived, which the team didn't factor in. They, they mentioned something a little bit later about how like things are changing. Even weather patterns might be different than they expected them to be. And this kid surviving, like this is a really big deal. You know, this is, Somebody who is aware that shit has been fucked with, at least a little bit. Um, Yeah, I am just dying to know about, like, what? It's not even dying to know. I'm. I am eagerly awaiting if it ever happens, the moment where this kid wises up. And realizes that basically his captain lied to him, told him, oh, I'm right behind you, kiddo, and then sent him on into 
certain death. And I I think that the kid, like the one behind him, is it a captain? Is he a general? I forgot what his name is. But um, he gets in the car with somebody else who seems pretty aware of what is going on, that the captain is sending this kid on to die. And they all don't, they don't seem to like side eye him. I feel like it's a really, um, it's easy for us to imagine if you realize that somebody was going to, that like if we were a soldier and we found out that one of our superiors was sending somebody on into certain death that we would like give them a bit of a side eye and be like, dude, seriously, what are you doing? But I kind of like the fact that it seemed as if at the time, and again, this is back in like episode two, I think. So it's been a little bit and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the person didn't really like seem to judge his choice at all. Like they all appear to be kind of like, at peace with the fact that there are going to be casualties with what they're doing. Um, and now, of course, it's much easier to be complacent when it, you are not the casualty. But watching that decision get made and being okay with it is still like, that's kind of significant significant to me, you know? Um, forgive me, I'm going to move my mic back just a little bit because I think I'm getting a bit loud up in here. Hopefully that wasn't too terrible. Um, so, Okay. He is telling this uh, captain, who I will call him that for now because I cannot remember, um, about how he doesn't really remember what happened. All he remembers is, uh, I know that you were following behind me, like you said, because I spotted your headlights at one point. I was mostly focused on keeping the vibrations down and the road ahead. And then a woman walked out in front of me. And this guy says, what woman? Because, of course, he winds up assuming a little bit later that it is the physicist. And that she is, like, part of some... Which is just so hilarious. Because, like, yeah, she would definitely, by herself, in her fucking, like, suit, skirt combo... Step out into the middle of the road in front of a military vehicle in order to procure matter that she had already sold to someone. Like, what are you thinking, dude? This dude, he's such a fucking dum-dum. I really hate him. Um, but yeah, he immediately leaps to this conclusion. And this kid is like, the next thing I remember, I was driving again. And he says, I know it sounds crazy. And... Captain is just like, you know, don't worry about it for right now. I'm sure it'll come back to you in time. Just chill, get some rest. Um, and he, as he's walking away, the kid chimes in and is like, sir, I know what was in the back of my truck. How am I still alive? And I, you know, want to emphasize, he knows what was in the back of his truck. He thinks that this was all an accident. He is not aware that he was sent on with the full understanding that what he was carrying was already unstable and about to blow. He thinks that there was something that suddenly occurred. So, yeah, I just, this kid, oh, I feel so bad for him. Um, 
So then we have an interesting scene. Um, McLaren and his wife are hanging out and it turns out that she does like um, some furniture refinishing. And I'm not sure if this is like all that she does or if this is part of her maybe doing like an interior design job at large or what. But she's um, talking to him about what she plans to make for dinner. And he is, you know, very quickly like, hey, I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to be able to be home for dinner tonight. And she tries to be like cool about it, but it's obvious that she's still very suspicious of what's going on with his like change in behavior lately. And it's so understandable. Like, I don't know how many of y'all have gone through um, being cheated on. I personally haven't, but I have been the person personally that was seeing somebody else and it was not like an in-person thing with Owen. It was that we were talking online, but somebody is like attitude and, and personality seeming to be different all of a sudden is most definitely a part of that. Like it will feel like they are just behaving differently around you. And it was the kind of thing that I was aware I was doing it even at the time. And I couldn't help it because I was no longer engaged with my marriage the way that I had been because in my heart and my mind, it was over already. Um, And I think that's how she's interpreting the fact that this is a totally other person in her husband's body, because of course she can't know that's what's going on. So there's a kind of a sweet moment where he tells her he won't be home. She tells him about this piece of furniture that somebody like painted over And that it's like a really classic, valuable piece and says something about how like, you know, can you imagine someone treating something really valuable that they have like that and just really not appreciating it? Uh, Clearly, you know, talking about herself. And McLaren at that point does something kind of smart where he it's it's clear that he's not comfortable being affectionate with her the way that he should probably be because the two of them are obviously before he showed up, they clearly have a strong marriage. They have sex frequently. They are affectionate with one another. You can just tell because of her body language, but he is so reserved because he inside this body is already involved with somebody else. And that's part of it as well. If you are in a relationship with somebody, but you have mentally sort of moved on, you begin to feel a loyalty to the other person over the person you are currently with. And so you do not want to engage in affection and physical contact or sex the same way, at least a lot of the time you don't, because it feels like a betrayal of the other person, which is really fucked up, but that's how it is. Um, and I think that's part of how she's attributing his behavior is that like, you know, obviously he's giving his affection to somebody else and there's just like, he's not doing this with me anymore. And I feel really bad for her because like, she seems like a really intelligent, thoughtful person who she has done nothing wrong. And she's just being like, you know, she, she's just the one that's on the receiving end of this And it's unfair. And he's doing his best as well. He can tell that she probably doesn't deserve this. But what can he do? You know, 
I just, I, I liked this scene and I enjoy the human aspect of this show. I won't say being just as important as everything, but it's certainly at least a factor in everything because, you know, there's no way that you can just like drop into somebody else's body and do what the fuck you want. And the other people that were already in that person's life don't play any sort of like role or aren't a factor. So yeah. Anyway, so I like the scene. And then we have like this brief scene with Trevor and his parents are going out um, away for the weekend. This is one of those things like his parents are telling him no parties while we're gone. And um, it occurred to me all of a sudden that like all of the teen movies that you see where somebody has like a giant house party because their parents are out of town. I always like as a kid was sort of feeling and as a kid, I mean, teenager, I was always like, I never get invited to parties like this. And then I realized like as I got older that you have to have rich friends whose parents can afford to go away. <laughs> like most people, if they go on a vacation, they're taking their kids. Most people don't have the kind of uh, income that allows for them to have couples vacations and also family vacations. They get to pick one and they don't have like, you know, so his mother and father, they're like dressed up They're It's clearly like a, an important thing that they're going to. And his mother's coming out and she's wearing this like floral sheath dress. And his father gets pissed and is like, that's not what you told me you would wear. And she tries to argue for like a second. And he's like, you know, I like you in that black dress. So she's just like, fine. And she goes inside to change um, in record time. I might add, it takes her like no time at all to change. And she comes out and uh, Trevor says something to her about how you look lovely in the other dress, by the way. And she s responds with, it's just easier, honey. And man, if I haven't heard that line out of my mother's mouth, Woo! That is something I feel like it's just the truth, man. When you are with somebody that is really kind of overbearing, people want to know why you don't like dig in and stand up for yourself more often. And that's because they probably haven't come across the kind of, of stubbornness that comes like from the other side, because if they did, they would understand why it is that you just decide fine fine like it's easier to cave and do what the fuck they want because you have to pick your battles this isn't really worth it it's a dress and to me it is worth it because it's like this motherfucker's telling you what to fucking wear like you know it's it's it would be one thing if he was like oh i really like that other dress oh well you know that would still annoy me because i'm like dude shut up don't tell me you know but in this case, he's like really being like, no, wear the other thing. And dude, fuck you. And Trevor says something about how they uh, like one of his teachers has said that equality between the sexes will be like a non-issue within the next 20 years. And his dad is like, oh, uh, the professor who told you that, is that the gay one? And he again is just like, that is not relevant. Oh, Trevor, bless your heart. I love you so much. You're so great. Um and right after they pull away, the car um, being driven by Carly pulls up to pick him up, the panel van. Um, and again, 
I like the inclusion of the personal aspects of what they're all going through being, being like, you know, a factor in their day. So we then see, and I will admit freely that I didn't realize what I was looking at at the time. We then see McLaren looking at a projected um, trajectory, I guess, of this meteor that is heading towards the Earth. And it, you know, there's a, a diagram and it shows Earth, shows something that's labeled Helios 685. Um, there is a recorded trajectory. There is. I think it says inflected trajectory. It's a little hard to tell because it's like kind of background and it's not, the camera's not focused on it, but he tells us that this is the thing that motivates us to come back to the 21st century. I know you all just went through hell and I wish we had answers, but we don't. So let's just focus on the mission at hand. Um, and by you went through hell and I know you wish we had answers. He's talking about the fact that they were all fucking abducted and nobody seems to know who was responsible for that. I would like it on the record that I am deeply disturbed by the way the other team member who comes into the picture a little bit later, how cavalier they are about what happened at the same time, considering what they're about to go up against and the, the possibilities for what could happen here, it makes it a lot clearer why they're not overly concerned because it doesn't seem like these people, if things go properly, are even going to be around in a second. So who cares what happened to them? Um, and yeah, they are, they're all working on like putting some, some, equipment together. And the main thing, um, first one we have is Marcy injecting herself with this uh, compound that she tells them will keep the nervous system from shutting down. And she's like, now, don't get me wrong. When this gas is released, you will most definitely be able to smell and taste it in the air. So I, I want you to know that that will still be like perceptible to you. And don't think that because you can taste and smell that, that it means this compound didn't work. You'll detect it. It just won't affect you, which I really appreciated that specification. It doesn't matter in the context of the show itself, because as a viewer, you can't taste or smell what's happening in the scene. But I like the detail as a doctor, you know, her being like, hey, I understand that you might leap to this conclusion based on the senses and what you're being told by your body. I promise it's not ignore it, you know, because that's like, I don't know that I feel like I would, if I could smell it, I'd suddenly be like, fuck, wait, does this mean that? Oh shit. And I'd start to like get really worried. Um, so they are talking about, um, you know, all of their plans and everything. And there's also a moment where, um, what is the name of Philip? He says something about how, or Carly, no, Marcy, God, guys, I'm so bad today. It's been a month. Forgive me. Um, Marcy says something about how 
the abductors set back his rehab because he has been like really trying to slowly inch his way out of using as frequently as he had been. And they just kind of screw that all up. So he's a little bit worried that if he's continuing to dose with heroin, that it might interfere with whatever it is that Marcy made, but apparently not. They don't have to worry about that. Um, so McLaren reminds them all that they are the ones that decided to take the antimatter back to the facility that they had, that it came from. And because of that, it means that the mission is changed. Like they are supposed to be doing all of this from another spot and they have to see it through because they are the ones responsible for shifting everything. And Essentially, he's like, y'all have to be ready and willing to die for this cause today because we're the ones who have made it a little bit more tenuous whether or not we are going to live or die. And speaking of, we get the oath that I don't know if they say this before every mission. We have not seen that, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But I really liked it. Trevor recites it. It says, we the last unbroken remnants vow to undo the errors of our ascendance to make the earth whole, the lost unlost at peril of our own birth. I, when they say at peril of our own birth, I was like, Oh snap. I didn't even think of that. Of course, which is funny because I'm covering fucking dark on one of the other feeds you would think that that would have occurred to me since that's already kind of come up on dark. Didn't. Sorry. I'm bad at my job, I guess. So yeah, at peril of our own birth. Again, the only thing that I have um, a problem with in this scene is really the fact that later on, Marcy, you know, some, um, the older woman who winds up coming into the picture's name, I can't remember if anybody wants to help me, feel free. Um, she says something about how, like, you know, we don't need to worry about this. If, if we succeed, we might not even know about it. And Marcy's like, I don't get it. And I was kind of like, okay, show, I understand that you need to have a reason to explain explicitly to the audience that if this succeeds, it may result in this whole crew not having been born. And I get that. But this is literally part of their oath that they say. And you're trying to tell me that she doesn't understand that's a risk right out of the gate here. And that she wouldn't understand what bloom. Thank you, Anyas. Um, that she wouldn't understand what bloom meant the moment that she said that like, come on, of course she knows it didn't, it just didn't ring true to me that Marcy would be the one who didn't get it. Um, and I don't really have an answer on how better to explain that except for somebody to just say it. It, it doesn't have to be that someone else brings it up and it's just like, wait, I don't understand. What do you mean? You could just have in conversation them being like, all right guys, well, we don't know how this is going to go. I might not see you again, or you might not see me again. So excellent working with you. 
uh, hopefully I can see you on the other side, or maybe, hopefully not. Who knows? But instead, we have this weird moment of her, like, having recited this thing along with everybody else that I'm sure they've been taught and made to repeat many times, and then acting as if she doesn't know what the fuck is going on in the scene where it matters. Um, so we have some really interesting intersperse- interspersions here where there's, first of all, of course, our team of the people that we know and love who are heading over in their vans to the facility. Then we have the crew of older people who are like heading over in their uh, bus. And there's a lot of like fun sort of dialogue and like um, exposition for lack of a better word, where they are all staring around outside at this world that is so beautiful to them in comparison to where they came from, that they are enraptured and keep wanting to stop. Like, of course they want to stop to pee, but also they're all like, oh my God, I saw a bird. I saw another bird. Did you see that? I think that was a dog. It was a bear. Like all of them are betraying how fucking bleak it must be in their future because they are completely awed and inspired by simple birds flying around, you know, like, and, and, I really liked this detail because it's the sort of thing that I feel like if we as a culture were to be transported somewhere back in, let's, let's not go too far. Let's go back to 1880. I really feel because I'm trying to go somewhere before the industrial revolution, because I feel like that's really where I'm looking for another, like, you know, watershed change in the landscape of our world. And it feels like the Industrial Revolution was really what started to change things in that regard. So let's go back to 1880. And just how many more trees there are everywhere, you know? How many more animals there are? 1880 might not be far back enough, but if you go, you know, to um, the middle of the United States where there are plains and buffalo, they were hunted to near extinction after there being herds of like thousands. And I can't imagine going through that area, maybe uh, like on a train or something and looking out the window and seeing the way it was before we fucked it all up. You know, and I just think it's really cool that they included this, this like detail of these characters being they're on a mission and they take it seriously. But they at the moments of driving through to get to their mission are tourists and they're looking around like, holy shit, do you see this? And I think that is so wild. I really liked that. Um, so I kind of had jumped ahead a little bit. Um but we have uh, this whole now again. I'm going to call him the captain because I don't remember his name. But we have the physicist, this woman who is sassy. I love her. I do not 
feel that I would handle myself as well as she does. Um, she is waiting for McLaren to get in contact and pull her away. But unknown to her, the people who have come to, you know, collect her are not McLaren's people. And she doesn't realize that until it's a little bit too late. So she is being questioned. And when she comes in, she says, are these your guys? I thought, and he's like, oh, yeah, complete that sentence. Who were you expecting? So again, he keeps on like insisting that she is in league with somebody else, which she is, but it's to save humankind. And he thinks it's to make money. Um, and he tells her that she's a military contractor under uh, military law. And she says, I'm a scientist and my contract is with the Van Heusen Corporation. And he says, consequently, you fall under the code of military conduct and will be held for questioning. So he's not hearing what she says at all. And she, for her part, is going along with it because what is she supposed to do? She can't just like bust her way out of there. There's armed men surrounding her, you know. But I will say that once it comes down to actually questioning her, she keeps her cool and is very like, I think at this point in our history, I have grown all too aware that law enforcement does not need a reason to hold you. And that's just police. If we're talking about the military, I mean, they can pretty much do whatever they want. And whether or not it's legal and whether or not it is, there's like just cause, and maybe there's not. Go get a lawyer and argue about it. You aren't going to be able to do shit. And unless they let you see a lawyer, which, spoiler alert, they frequently don't, you kind of are screwed until you tell them what they want to know. And even then, they still might not let you out. So this scene where she's being like questioned and accused of doing all of this shit, colluding with the Russians or China, I was very nervous on her behalf, even though I know that this is a television show. And in the context of the show, she needs to be able to get out of here because there's continuing storyline with her in it more than likely. But at the time I was just like, Oh girl, I really appreciate you like getting back in his face and telling him he's fucking such an idiot. I do, but I'm also deeply worried about you because I just, you know, you are functioning in the I know my rights capacity. And the thing is, like, do you? Because you might know what your rights are allegedly supposed to be. But what they are, that's not necessarily the same thing. Um, so, doop, doop, doop. Then we get the scene with Bloom. And it turns out that uh, this person, and it might be a man. Again, I'm not sure how much they worry about the mind of the person going into the body of somebody who is of the same gender um, or biological sex, I guess. What do you, how do you say that? Um, because I feel like it's probably just easier to enter the body of somebody 
who has the same parts as you have, because it's going to be less distracting and you're going to just be a little bit more like comfortable, right? But I don't know, that might not be the case. The person inside of this body might be a dude. Um, in, in any case, this is Bloom and Bloom is over a hundred years old. We wind up finding out a little bit later. Um, Trevor says something about this and it makes me really wonder about Trevor too, because I had theorized that Trevor seemed like the oldest one of the crew, but just happened to be in like a young body and was very delighted at his young body. Uh, when Bloom sees Trevor and when Bloom is talking about the fact that like Marcy doesn't know what's going on, she like winks at Trevor and says they're always so cute when they're young. So it definitely feels like the two of them are of an age or at least closer in age than anybody else here. Um, which has me begging the question, how the fuck in the future, if things are so terrible, does somebody live over a hundred years old? I mean, that's not an even, that's not a totally easy thing to do now when things are like, there's much more accessibility to, you know, clean air and water and whatnot. Um, Michael says, I, for one, am glad they never use the traveler's future names because that would be very confusing. Do they not? Is McLaren, McLaren is his name. I guess it, I mean, it would be very confusing as a viewer and it would also be very confusing to the traveler as well, right? You need to get used to being called by the name that everybody in your world knows you by. Um, so yeah. But anyway, um, so we see McLaren pulling up and uh, using a syringe on this guard in order to knock him out and make everybody think that he's having a heart attack and being like, oh, yeah, he just said it was fine if we went on inside. Um, and the other security like comes up trying to check on whether or not he's okay. And they zap the other two as well. And then it turns out that like a lot of the people here are part of this team. Um, and they split up and Trevor and Philip go to deal with this toxin and they get surprised by one of the military dudes, this Asian guy who they didn't expect to be there because they don't realize that the military has gotten back involved again. Um, and this poor dude won't listen to them when they're telling him to run because understandably he just, doesn't know that they know what they're talking about. He has no clue what he's involved in here, really. And he winds up dead. And it seems that he is like the only casualty at the moment. But there are some later. The crew of old folks, they pretty much all get taken out, if I'm not mistaken. And it's tragic because it turns out that they aren't shooting to kill. They are completely being shot at to be killed, but they cannot respond in kind, which that's brutal. Like I understand it in terms of what they're trying to do here in this operation. I do think that that is probably the best way to go, but to come into this situation, knowing full well that, you're going to be put in that position. 
I guess they don't know full well because they aren't aware that the military is involved again. But nevertheless, being told that, like, you don't get to shoot to kill. <sighs> yikes, guys. Like, that sucks. Um, so, let's see. We have <laughs> Carly outside, and she's the one that's, like, redirecting the ambulances. She's, like, trying to keep everybody from coming in because there are all sorts of folks that are attempting to enter the facility. Um, and then we have Bloom who shows up and is late. And it turns out uh, it's because old people tip like shit. And so no cabs wanted to pick her up, which I just found so funny. I don't know if that's true or not. I haven't worked, thankfully, in a lot of like jobs where tipping was a thing. The The only job I think that I really worked in that capacity was as a bellhop. And that's one of those things that a lot of people don't tip at all. So it's not really like old people stood out as being, you know, not great in that area. It was just a uh, sort of a, if you got tipped, that was the thing that stood out. Um, so we have the fucking interrogation. And this dude, guys, I don't know if this is intentional casting or if this is just an accident of the face. But this captain is, has the most punchable face. Oh my God. I hate him so much. Y'all, I hate him so deeply. He is like, the the arrogance, Major Gleason. Thank fuck, I just saw it. Um, <laughs> Michael says an accident of the face. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, I don't know if they were like, let's cast somebody who looks like a petulant child when they get angry, but he does. He has a real sort of Percy Weasley combined with Barty Crouch vibe, where. He's like so certain that he's in the right, but also like really sulky about the fact that people aren't just immediately admitting everything to him because he obviously knows. So why don't you just tell me? Because I figured it out already. Like, no, you didn't. You're an idiot, but sure. And the fact that he's like out here doing shady, like, private interrogations, which McLaren comes and like schools him about. And, you know, McLaren himself is full of shit, but he's not wrong in the scene. You know, this dude should not be like fucking apprehending people and taking them to unsanctioned facilities to question them privately and intimidate them privately. Like this is your fuck up and you're out here trying to act like, oh yeah, I just got tricked because she's doing something shady. No, dude, you just don't know what you are like up against or handling. And you were supposed to, he, he's out here like ready to sacrifice one of his own people and seemingly not having a problem with that either. It didn't like, he's not cut up over it. It's not like he hears that this kid is still alive and he's like, oh, thank God. He doesn't care. Um, and all of this adds up to just like, oh, I want the thing. And obviously, if you didn't give me the thing, it's because you're keeping me from getting the thing on purpose. But 
it's not about you, though. And that's what he doesn't get. He keeps on, like, trying to make this about him. And, oh, my God, have I met people like that. It's not about you, though. Get over it. Fuck. But he can't because he's like, this whole conversation is so annoying. I I didn't know you were a complete idiot. I just knew you were an idiot. Oh, bless her. I love her so much. So it turns out that what they are having to do is basically, I'm going to boil this down because there's a much more like detailed explanation that Bloom gives, but they are going to shoot a laser to intercept this meteor that is heading towards them and keep it from hitting the earth. And they are using this matter that was created by this physicist to power the laser. And they have to find her because as it turns out, it the the matter is in an encrypted like vault that is impossible for them to hack. They really thought they were gonna manage to do it. And they can't do it. It seems like they have actually maybe set off a silent alarm, Philip says at one point. It's just in general much better protected than they expected it to be. And that's partially McLaren's fault because McLaren told her to like be really careful and keep it super safe. But he didn't think that it was going to be a problem for them because they're so advanced, Um, which I just found kind of like mildly entertaining. So they're talking about what they're going to do. Oh, and this is when Bloom says um, there's been a lot of arguments about you guys uh, they give you a really hard time. Remind me to not ever get on your bad side. And she points at McLaren. And I was like, what's that about? And he says, you know who abducted my team? And she says, wasn't anybody on my team? And he says, they were tortured for days. And she says, I know what happened, dear. I'm from the future. I'm sure it was terrible, but the point is, you found them. Well, we found them. Not that that matters anymore. Anyway, this is the big day. If this works, and we're done. And uh, that's when Marcy says, we'll save tens of millions of lives. And Bloom turns around and is like, yeah, we do. But remember your oath. And this is the part where she's just like, I don't get it. And I'm like, oh, girl, yes, you do. Why are they writing her to be like this? Come on, guys. Um, so I'm going to fast forward a little here because I'm running out of time. Honestly, like the action of this episode for me is a lot. I'm going to say a lot less interesting, but that sounds like I'm being insulting and I really don't mean for it to be. I just love the character stuff so much that when we get down to a lot of the mission stuff, it's incidental. It's still really fun and it's still interesting, but it's just not the part that like grips me, that gets me like invested. Um, So they are, you know, after they are all made aware that possibly succeeding in this mission will mean the fact that they are never born. um, They begin to get the shit organized and McLaren has to go And find the physicist who is still arguing with this fucking major. 
Major Dick. Um, and he is acting like he like really caught her in a lie a couple times. Like, oh, your story keeps changing. She's not changing her story. She's telling you that your hypothetical situation that you just set up makes no sense. He is just so bad at this. And he really thinks that he's like doing something here. And it is embarrassing. It's honestly so embarrassing. I love her and her attitude. Like, there is nothing quite like being at the mercy of somebody who is not smart. It's tough, especially if you're as smart as she is. Like, I consider myself to be like slightly above average intelligence, but I would not classify myself in anywhere the same like echelon as somebody who works on this kind of project. And God, it must be absolute excruciating torture to know that your fate is in the hands of somebody who can barely comprehend like half of what you do, you know? Ugh. So Marcy, once she realizes that maybe she won't be around, she goes and leaves a voicemail for David. And uh, it becomes clear that she has started to develop feelings for him. And she's trying to be cool about it and be like, you know, I'm just going to be relocated. And I'm like, mm, sure. Um, so McLaren finally comes in and tells the major to stop fucking around. Let me see her before I call your superiors and tell them you've been freelancing as a private fucking detective. And he gives him this look and it becomes clear a little later. He recognizes McLaren from when they were, uh, you know, talking when McLaren was working on the, you know, what's the word machinery when he came in, um, in episode two and he just put, didn't put it together until after the fact. But I like the fact that he does remember because I got to be honest with you guys. I don't think I would have put that together at all. That's pretty impressive to remember things to that degree. Um, and he goes down to show McLaren where she's at and she is missing. And he's like, you know, put out a, an APB, he doesn't say that because obviously this is like a shady thing that he can't do that. But uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. It turns out that they have gathered her up while um, the major has been distracted and she's in a van. But I really enjoyed the humiliation of the major in this moment. It really tickled me. It made me so happy. So they are, then we have the confrontation with the snipers and the uh, other military personnel who turn up. And this be turns into just a straight up firefight. It is pretty intense. And like, it's, it's intense in the way that it isn't really that intense, which makes it feel all the more real to me. It's not like there's like dramatic music and sharp cuts here and there. It's honestly kind of like sedate. And that is what makes it feel so worrisome. Does that make sense? Um, and I just really fucking hate the major so much. He steps out into the like the clear at one point and realizes that they're not shooting to kill and then like hits a dude right between the eyes, which I just feel like I understand that. Is, I'm not trying to defend the major, really, but I do understand that in his position, responding with deadly force would be considered just. 
but it feels so incredibly shitty that there's an old man that you have just figured out is not shooting to kill. And you're like, oh, yeah, let me tap him right between the fucking eyes. Like, uh, dude, seriously. So we go into the um, the facility. Now, the physicist is here and we've got Bloom and McLaren. Dr. Delaney. Thank you. God, the show. I'm very not good at these names. Um. Bloom is telling McLaren that they need to get the fuck out. And McLaren is like, I will not leave. I am staying here until the very end. And she says, if you hadn't brought Delaney, I would agree with you. But since she's here, you really need to get the fuck out of here. And he starts to argue again. He says, um, Let's see, we're staying until this is done. If you hadn't brought Delaney here, I'd be forced to agree with you. But there's just time to get her to minimum safe distance. He says the soldiers will eventually make it inside. And she says then there'll be no getting out of here and it'll be in the hands of the director. And she gives him this look and is like, do you get it? And we wind up finding out exactly what she means a little bit later. Because the major... And his people do get inside. And they do manage to shoot Bloom before she can turn the key on this device. And I, for a moment, was just like, oh, are you serious? But then each of the men in the room gets taken over again. One by one. Guys, if this isn't... Uh, this scene was so good. Like, I just fucking love... I, I didn't expect it. It took me a minute to, like, understand how this could even work. And then once I realized, I was like, oh, shit, of course. Like, I just... This fucked me up. I have been watching this show with Owen and I can't wait to get to this scene with him because we haven't gotten there yet. And it's just like the fucking major is standing there shooting each of his men that gets up to go turn the key. And he clearly doesn't understand what's happening. Why would you? He, Of course he doesn't. But each of the men around him is just suddenly like screaming and flipping out. And he's looking at them like he's afraid. He doesn't know what's going on. He's like, it, it, it is just so... It is so surreal and it is so clear to us as an audience what's happening, but there is absolutely no reason for him to ever put it together. There will be no moment where he gets an explanation of what exactly is going on here. And if they didn't succeed and somebody comes across this, like this scene with this facility and these bodies what are they going to make of what happened here? You know, I just, this woman who is standing here, who was just about to like do assisted suicide, like on the other side of the state is suddenly in here. Really? Uh, I don't know. So every single one of the men that came inside with him is eventually down. And 
Major is fucking flipping out. Like he's standing there like, I just murdered every single one of my own guys. I do not know what this machine is that's here. I like, I don't understand what everything, I don't get it. And he starts to panic realizing that like, if he, I mean, he could face a court martial and who knows what the fuck would happen to him. You know, there's no explaining to anybody what just went down and they believe you. So he points the gun at himself and is about to commit suicide and he fucking pulls the trigger and there are no bullets left in the gun. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Because he shot all his guns. So his bullets are gone. Like guys, I was freaking out. And then he begins to scream himself and is taken over, stands up, turns around, walks over to the thing and pulls the trigger and he or not pulls the trigger turns the key but you know but he does it a moment after philip says and that's time and i don't know if it was enough we don't know if it was enough he turns the key they have just gotten outside of like the uh, the safe range. There's a uh, explosion for sure. A fucking mushroom cloud goes up, but they're all still sitting there. The future apparently didn't change enough for them to all suddenly not be born. So, what does this mean? Did it work? I don't know. They don't know either. And that's the end of the episode is McLaren just being like, ah, we're all still here. And while that may feel like good news, it's not really. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is a really good episode, guys. I was here for it. I really, really enjoyed it. I'm liking the show a lot. So thank you very much to Michael for commissioning it. Um, thank you all so much for listening. I apologize for just using weird names until I figure out who people are. Um, the major, I don't need to know his name anymore, apparently. So that's fine. And we've got Dr. Delaney. So I'm, I'm on board with Dr. Delaney at least. Okay, guys, thank you all again. And I will be seeing you soon with a new episode. Until then, toodaloo, motherfuckers. Spoiled Network Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.